All right, we are back here on the Four Kings of Boxing podcast, the history of boxing podcast, if you will. Chapter 9, Marvelous Marvin Hagler versus Sugar Ray, the 7-Up Kid, Sugar Ray Leonard. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge, and I am joined by two blind mice, Patrick Mullen. How do you do, sir? See how they score. See how they score. <laughs> yes, indeedy. All right, so this is it. This is the super fight. It took place uh, on April 6, 1987 for the WBC and ring middleweight titles. This is the one that haunted Marvin Hagler. The background between Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray was Sugar Ray was always, I called him the seven up kid. You know, he was, he was always out in front. He was sort of the second coming of Muhammad Ali. He was the, uh, the, the favorite son of the boxing world. And then there was Marvin Hagler, who was no slouch in his own right, but he didn't quite get the respect and love that Sugar Ray got. And that's what he wanted. And more than anything else, he just wanted to take on Sugar Ray in the center of the ring. But he was kept being denied, and Sugar Ray had to retire not once but twice before we got to this fight. Why do you... Why would you say was the, what would you say is the biggest reason they couldn't get this done any earlier than 1987? Well, I think we kind of talked a little bit about this. There was obviously the the biggest factor was Ray and having the issue with the detached retina, you know, yeah. really at the peak of his prime of his career. And then after going through the experimental surgeries and, and doing what he did and having his comeback fight against Kevin Howard that we talked about in the last episode and him not feeling that uh, I wasn't really at my best, even though he won the fight, mm. if he's going to perform that way against the Kevin Howard, then I'm probably not standing a chance against the Marvin Hagler. So why am I even going to take that fight All Right. Um, when I don't need the money and I don't like my chances? It's frustrating, I think, if you're Marvin Hagler, no? Oh, Yeah. It's you know, and this is we've talked about their histories through all four of these guys leading up, and these guys have careers paralleling each other so much before they're even professionals. You go back to them being amateurs, fighting on the same national championship shows, and you know, eventually their paths are going to divert when Leonard stays an amateur and goes for the Olympics, and Hagler decides to turn pro, and. It's it's a crazy process where you know again these guys are trading amateur titles on on shows where one night uh, Leonard wins the national Golden Gloves and Hagler loses in the finals and Leonard's voted the outstanding boxer of the games. You flip it to the AAU championships and then Hagler's the outstanding fighter of the games and Leonard loses in the final bout against his opponent. And he, he, even as they're paralleling, like you know, in, in their career paths, they each get their first world title shot on the same card in the same venue and. The lighter bout, Leonard's bout, the welterweight bout is the main event bout. And he's making several, you know, he's making a million plus dollars. And Marvin's getting his first title shot after a significantly longer career. And he's getting $40,000, which is what Leonard got for his first professional purse. So, you know, aside from, you know, the stats you have right there, Leonard's been at the forefront of the game, you know, as an undisputed champion. Marvin's been an undisputed champion for his entire entire, entire title run and, until Leonard really stepped away again against Kevin Howard, Marvin didn't get that kind of pop culture presence and love the way Ray did, but he was finally breaking into that. You know, he was hosting Saturday Night Live. He was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He's getting, you know, national commercials for Diet Coke and for Right Guard, where he's saying things like, now one would hate to be found malodorous by one's chums. Now wouldn't one? 
Uh, and he's that was funny, actually. I, yeah. I was, <clears throat> the documentary leading into the super fight, they showed clips of that. And I watched that and I was like, you know, some of these guys, nobody does them any favors by putting them in these. Uh, what, was, what was the the other one where we thought was kind of foppish? Was it, um, uh, what's his face there? The, the last undisputed heavyweight champion. Um, oh, with Lennox Lewis where he was playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we had a very similar conversation about him. Like, they're not doing him any favors by making him look foppish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Marvin. So, so, but but again, he's breaking into things where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think we watched the skit uh, about knockouts and concussions yeah. from Marvin uh, and his tips on uh, how to avoid <laughs> these <laughs> things. Um, when asked where you were, say Las Vegas, because odds are there's a very good chance that's where you were. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, little stuff like that. And Marvin's right. finally breaking through. But they're still because Ray's still a commentator, Ray's still a public presence. Mm. It's still kind of there. And even though Marvin's getting that Q factor up, he still never got the chance to be the guy who beat Leonard in the ring to take that from him that way. It's an odd way to think of it, but you know, it, it would make sense where if I come out and I beat this guy in front of the world and show that I am the better fighter of the two of us in front of the world, all this stuff that they've been giving him that I'm finally breaking into, I probably inherit that now because I'm the man. Mm-hmm. And that's where and that's where we find Marvin Hagler. When we last we saw him, he had just taken on Thomas Hearns, and he beat the living snot out of him in uh, three rounds. It was it was quite a sight to behold. Um, with not with Sugar Ray not available, now that's April fifteenth, nineteen eighty five. With Sugar Ray not available at this time, he's still in one of his many retirements. Marvin Hagler goes on to take on John Mugabe at uh, Caesar's Palace on March 10th, 1986 for the... You know, he really, he wasn't, wasn't all that enthralled about taking. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I was setting you up there. Uh, this is, the you know, for his, he's defending his WBA, WBC, IBF, and ring middleweight titles. So how do we go from Thomas Hearns to John Mugabe? So... Mugabe at this time is a name contender. He's he's 25 and 0, 25 knockouts. You know, he's been on TV a lot. He's fighting junior middleweights and middleweights, trying to get a shot at either Hagler or Hearns, um, doing what he's doing. And, you know, there's definitely a boxing insider interest in John Mugabe because of what he's doing. And he's beaten some good guys on the way up. He beat Frankie Animal Fletcher, Curtis Parker. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you're Marvin and you've just had the fight that you've been waiting for against, you know, Thomas Hearns, everything that led up to it, you did it, you accomplished it. And Leonard's not on the horizon and you've made a lot of money now and you're doing, you know, the acting stuff and whatever. What's, is there really a motivation in you to keep going at that point? And Marvin's motivation is starting to wane pretty heavy. And eventually what they talk about is a plan where they want to get to a Hagler Hearns rematch because of the excitement and everything in the first fight. It was, you know, again, it's eight of the greatest minutes of boxing you'll ever see. But they know that it's the immediate rematch isn't the way to go. So what they do is they plan this card out where Marvin's going to fight John Mugabe and Hearns is going to fight on the undercard against uh, Black Gold Schuler. And then so long as they both win, the plan is for them to have a rematch down the road, which Marvin doesn't agree to a rematch. Marvin agrees to fight Mugabe because he doesn't think he wants to keep going. And eventually they, you know, he talks it over with the Petronelli brothers, his handlers and, and Bob Arum, the promoter. And they agree to this fight and Marvin gets up for it. And 
we get the first ever Showtime Championship boxing card with these two guys and a bantamweight title fight on, on the undercard. Um, and again, the plan is now it's going to be Hagler Hearns the rematch, and in Aram's mind anyway, um, <laughs> Marvin and Marvin's kind of thinking more like, all right, well, this will be the one I go out on. So he ends up. Uh... He ends up beating, uh, KOing John Mugabe in the 11th round of 12. My favorite fight of all time, by the way. Well, talk. let's talk about that for one second. Let's talk about the actual fight itself. What happens in this fight that makes it stand out to you? So this is a point in time, and we've hinted at this, that we, as we've watched this, we've kind of seen that Marvin's not really in his prime anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a level of danger that Mugabe brings, being this fearsome puncher, but Mugabe also not, never got credit for being a pretty decent boxer, too. Um, you know, he came through the amateur program in England, um, originally from Uganda, but mm -hmm. was taught to fight in England. He was going to represent Uganda at the 1980 Olympics um, and did and won a silver medal, um, which even though there's a U.S. boycott of that Olympic, it's still impressive to get to that level and win a silver medal regardless. Um, John's handled by Mickey Duff, who's, you know, Mickey Duff is one of the original characters in boxing, but a really great smart manager and the way the fight starts off it plays into the fight we're going to talk about tonight but marvin starts off the fight as orthodox trying to confuse john mugabe and that stands out to start with and early in the fight you see marvin having a lot of problems trying to land his left hand and you know he's throwing a winging left hand he's doing a little bit more brawling he's off balance a lot and mugabe's bringing the fight to him real hard and like, if you're watching this as a Marvin fan, you're like, this is this isn't how this is supposed to go because the overwhelming public thought is, well, Mugabe's good and he's a puncher, but Marvin's the best fighter in boxing. Like, he's not going to beat right. him. And then you see Marvin have these difficulties with him, and then really starts having a fight toe to toe with him and engage that fight. And there's the sixth round is maybe my favorite round of boxing ever, where it, it's almost like a comic book panel, like where I remember, like it, it reminded me of like the Mighty Thor fighting Juggernaut, where. He's just he's just hitting him with everything and he can't get him to move backward. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it's like, you know, in the comic panel, Thor says, I say the fall and finally hits him with the hammer and knocks Juggernaut down. And then Hagler finally gets Mugabe to just stumble backward after a combination, just engaging toe to toe with him the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it's a fight that's won more than anything by willpower and just that that crazy wherewithal, that resolve that Marvin had that just breaks Mugabe's will along the way. And he beats him and finishes him. And it, 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 the action that goes, it's just the best. And, you know, Mills Lane's the referee. I, I love the fight. It's, it's seeing that last great performance, you know, by a guy who doesn't have everything he used to have, but has enough to beat this guy who's dangerous and on the way up and just, just does it because he, he refuses to be beaten. Sugar Ray Leonard, at this point in his career, is doing commentary for HBO Boxing. And he isn't working this fight though. He's there as a he's there as a guest. He's there as a spectator. But he sees Marvin Hagler in this fight with Mugabe, and he starts to wonder. What does he wonder, Pat? He's noticing that at points in time, Mugabe's actually outboxing Marvin, mm -hmm. um, which is something that nobody had any idea of. And they pulled people before the fight about what they thought, and Ray thought, well, Marvin's got so many tools at his disposal. This really shouldn't be a difficult night of work for him. And what Ray's seeing is times where Marvin, like we talk about, is off balance. He's missing. Mm -hmm. He's being hit a lot more frequently than we're used to seeing. Um, Kenny Bayless, who is a long-tenured referee and was one of the inspectors for the fight, said that 
when they when Marvin you know removed this cup from the fight, there was blood in the cup from Marvin yeah. you know urinating blood, and he did that for days after the fight. Um, that's how physical and taxing it was. Does... But Ray's... Go ahead. But Ray's seeing you know mm-hmm. just like a couple other people are seeing the slowdown in Marvin, right. and then that's what I wanted to jump in for because what you're essentially saying is in part in in only part you know sugar ray missed out on an opportunity or marvin hagler missed out on an opportunity to fight the best in the world sugar ray leonard at a point where it might have meant more um closer to their primes etc and it does say something about sugar ray leonard and i just wanted to explore this for just a moment that there might have been ample opportunity to detach retina or not earlier on in both men's careers and and he doesn't take the fight then he sees a prone marvin hagler he sees a marvin marvin hagler at the end of his career because you know this is it this fight they're going to have is the last marvin hagler fight and 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 it's interesting to me and i wanted to get your take on this that sugar ray would think huh could have fought him at the at the peak of his career I'm going to take a shot at him at the end because I have a better chance of beating him now. I think that tells you a lot about Sugar Ray, no? Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, it's not even just that fight where Ray got that idea. The post-fight interview with Al Bernstein, what does Marvin say to him? He says, would you miss me if I was gone? Right. Because he's he's openly contemplating retirement at this point. Mm -hmm. You go a step further where once Marvin at this point was sure that he and Ray were never going to fight each other, he thought they were buddies. He thought they were friends. And Ray and Mike Trainer, Ray's longtime business manager, open up a restaurant in Bethesda, Maryland, and they invite Marvin as a guest for the grand opening. And, you know, they're hanging out and Ray's talking. So, Marvin, what's next? You know, this is after the Mugabe fight. And, you know, Marvin's saying, I, I, I'm not motivated anymore. I cut too easy. I swell too easy. There's just not really anything out there for me. I don't think I'm going to keep doing this. And again, Ray, you know, after seeing him perform against Mugabe, you know, says to Michael J. Fox, like, I, I can beat him. And, uh, you know, they think it's crazy. And then he sees this fight performance, picks Marvin's brain, and, you know, does like kind of an internal spy mission. Let's gauge Marvin. Let's see if Marvin's really still up for this. Maybe he just right. had an off night. No, he's really kind of out of it. And, you know, there's something to be said about winning a fight in the ring and fighting a guy at their best. And that's what we like to see, you know, two prime athletes meeting at the peak of their powers to go for it. Whereas then there's the accusation of waiting for guys to, past their age time and stuff like that. And unfortunately, as great a fighter as Ray Leonard was at his prime and is historically, mm-hmm. things like this are done by him very frequently in terms of trying to win a fight in the boardroom or at right. the negotiating table or waiting for a guy to pass their best. Say what you will about Ali, and we certainly said a lot, and not all of it was nice. But the delays in Ali's big fights were not because Ali was ducking people or was waiting for them to be prone and easy pickings. He he couldn't fight. <laughs> you know, they took away his license. And, and, and like again, that. he he you know he fought George Foreman at the peak of George's powers. He wouldn't right. give him a rematch mm-hmm. because he knew the strategy he had probably wasn't going to work a second time, and that was about the only way he figured he could beat him. But he did it. Right. He fought George at his best, right? He fought Joe Frazier as soon as he could. He came out and took mm-hmm. two real quick tune-up fights and fought Joe. He came out of retirement when he was well past his prime and fought Larry Holmes. Like, you know, right. this is 
it's and, and didn't wait for Larry to look vulnerable or anything. Larry's at the peak of his powers when they fight. So it's not a similar situation. I just, you know, history fondly remembers Sugar Ray Leonard, but I think it's important to point out what an opportunist he was and maybe not the greatest guy. No, and and you know what? Again, I'm not saying any, and I don't think you are either. And I'll speak for both. We're not saying what mm-hmm. he did is wrong. He did no, what was ad, he did strat- was absolutely advantageous to him to make right. things benefit himself. Which yeah, ultimately, strategy works, but yeah. let's call it what it is. Yeah, you you waited for a guy to be visibly past his prime to try to get the fight when it was most advantageous to you and least advantageous to them, and. You know, we'll get into negotiations and everything of that sort. But to put it in perspective for people, like to get something recent who maybe you weren't around for this year, you don't understand it. A lot of you probably were aware of the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight when that was going on and how for years we waited for this fight to happen. And the sides couldn't agree based largely on, you know, drug testing and accusations of performance enhancing drugs and things of that nature. Uh, a short term retirement for one of the guys. And we got it eventually. And we got it with those two guys being closer to their prime than these two guys were at this time. But Accio is still on the on the other side of the hill. Mayweather wasn't. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, eventually how we got there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this fight in 1987 was three times as big as Mayweather Pacquiao was when it finally happened in 2015. So looking through the notes here. Um, Leonard had suggested uh, Hagler's indecision to take the fight was because of insecurity about losing to Ray. So let's talk about that for a second. So Ray is sort of goading Marvin Hagler. You know, you talked about like he was picking his brain, trying to take his measure, seeing like is he is he into this or isn't he? Uh, Marvin Hagler struggling with this decision. What is Marvin Hagler? What what is the math for Marvin Hagler here? If I take it, X Y Z happens. If I if I don't take it, A B C happens. What is the X Y Z A B C? I don't think there's ever a, a, a belief in Marvin Hagler's mind that he was not going to win a fight that he was going into. And mm-hmm. I think kind of you know you've covered him a lot more recently in terms of like your knowledge of him. I think that's probably something very easy for you to believe as well. That sure in Marvin's mind, I, I don't lose. Like I'm not right. going to. Um, so I don't think that had any part of it. I think it goes to the motivational factor, part one, in terms of do I really need to keep doing this? Like, I think the other part of it is that, you know, he'd been played for a fool before by Leonard. You know, mm-hmm. they did the whole thing with the retirement ceremony where they're like, yeah, don't worry, there's going to be a fight. And then <laughs> there's not. I'm retiring. Got you to come. Joke's on you. <laughs> and I, I don't think he wanted to be subjected to something like that again, you know, for another pu- round of public humiliation especially at a point in time where he's finally getting a lot more mainstream recognition for who he is and what he's done. He has a lot more to and lose now. That's I, yeah. There, there, I, but again, I, I think there's more on the, at stake for him in that in terms of being overshadowed by Leonard coming mm-hmm. back and taking that away from him without even the fight happening. Um, right. You know, just because sugar Ray's back and doing what he's doing, even if Ray had come back and they didn't have this fight and let's say Ray fought somebody else and, you know, Marvin took another fight against somebody else. Who's going to be getting those commercials and everything? 99% chance it's right. I think it's also, and I'm wondering how much of this played into his mindset. Somebody has to be the black hat. And I, I wonder if, you know, he's finally getting the love that had eluded him throughout his boxing career from the masses. But now he goes up against Sugar Ray. And by default, he goes back to being the villain. And everyone wants Sugar Ray to win. And how much, you know, that hurts a man's ego, that hurts his feelings, you know, the feeling like, 
Didn't you all love me five minutes ago? I, as you said, Saturday Night Live, Coke commercials, etc. And now all of a sudden, because this guy happened to walk into frame, I'm the bad guy again. Well, Do and I want this. That part, part of that too, and Hagler's justified in that belief mm-hmm. because you know they when they announce the fight and everything and actually do a press tour, it's supposed to be a twelve city tour. Marvin left midway through it because he was pissed off at what he thought was a circus atmosphere that mm-hmm. Ray was initiating and creating. And his his actual quote was, "Just because he's America's sweetheart doesn't mean I'm a bum." Right. I want to talk about the months of negotiations that led to this fight. Months yeah. and months and months. What exactly were they fighting over? And why was it taking this long to get this done? One, again, we don't know that the fight's actually going to happen for a long period of time. Ray mm-hmm. announces that he he is trying to get this fight to happen in May of 86. Okay. Mm-hmm. The fight happens almost a full year after that. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of back and forth negotiating. I mean, we remember, you know, if you're watching boxing at the time, Everyone remembers Mayweather and Pacquiao meeting at half court during a Miami Heat game uh, and shaking hands and going to talk. And then a couple, you know, a couple weeks later, a fight deal was signed and we had a date. This wasn't like that. One, because Marvin wasn't sure he even wanted to take the fight at that point. Two, because each guy wanted, if they were going to take the fight, a a longer camp, basically, because Ray had been out of action. Marvin wanted the right amount of time to train because he knows this is the biggest fight he's going to have. Mm-hmm. And once they principally agreed to have a bout, then you had the uh, trying to think of the right word about it, but basically the the essential functions of a bout that had to be agreed on took forever to agree on, and it came down to where the money went. And unfortunately, pre-fight negotiations shouldn't decide how a fight goes. Mm-hmm. A lot of these did. This cracks me up because, you know, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury happens in what, like October of last year. And we're now just when and we were going to get Tyson Fury, uh, Alexander Usyk. We're still waiting on Alexander Usyk. Jo- you know, uh, well, Josh would have busy. a date. There's something going on over in the Ukraine. I don't know. If well, yeah, it was a little bit of a skirmish. I get that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then and then you know, we're looking at Tyson Fury, Dillian White. It, it's not unheard of to have long negotiating periods, and this is still a thing very much that happens today. Although we are getting De- uh, Devin Haney and George Cambosis in June. Yes, we are. We're also getting Boo Boo. Boo Boo. Boo Boo finally got a fight. Woohoo! On BT Sport. I don't know if that, they're going to air that in the United States or not. Probably on ESPN, but who knows? Maybe. I'm probably the only one that cares when, when Boo Boo was fighting. Yeah. Anyway. So back to this. Um, so Hagler begins a 10-week training camp, by far the most lengthy it had in years. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say, yeah, he, he, and Hagler takes this real seriously as soon as the mm-hmm. fight's signed. And any any question of motivation, once the fight's signed and it's on, he's motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the one he's wanted for over a decade for the, in, in some way or another. Um. Citing that he was a perfectionist and waiting for his fight plan to go off without a hitch. Leonard's camp, looking for every edge possible, dispatched SRL promotions matchmaker J.D. Brown, a very knowledgeable fight game veteran, to spy on Hagler's training. Want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Uh, again, it's not necessarily illegal. It's not necessarily playing dirty. But, you know, again, it's it's not just about how well you can do it. It's what do I need to know about this guy ahead of time that I can find out on the low. And 
So sure enough, J.D. Brown, because J.D. Brown is known around the fight game. You know, Mar- mm-hmm. Marvin Marvin and his team knew who J.D. Brown was. It just so happened at the time J.D. is working for Sugar Ray during Sugar Ray's short stint when he was trying to be a promoter, you know, during his retirements. Um, so J.D. dyes his hair, wears a pair of dark glasses, and his job is to observe every one of Marvin's training sessions Take notes on any instructions he's getting from Goody Petronelli in the corner or during the sparring sessions and look at his tendencies and identify them. And the big ones that he notices are one that Marvin's chief sparring partners this time, Floyd, Lloyd and Troy Weaver, um, (laughs) all triplet brothers. We talked about their older brother, Mike, who was a former WBA heavyweight champion on our heavyweight series. Um, But they're all, you know, middleweight, junior middleweight guys. And they had they fought Marvin as if they as as they fought against Marvin in these sparring sessions the way the Petronellis assumed Leonard would fight Marvin, which is to Mm -hmm. run, 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 run. Yeah. And he would get frustrated and say, come here and fight like a man, you little bitch to all of them. Which In In retrospect, he probably should have learned how to fix it without learn how to counteract their circling. Because when we actually get to the fight, that is exactly what Sugar Ray did. And he even will audibly say to Leonard during the fight, fight me like a man, you little bitch. Yeah, well, that's not how this game is played. There's also a tendency that Marvin had where at the start of every round, Marvin immediately would take the center of the ring Mm -hmm. and dictate where the fight went. So J.D. Brown is taking a note that if you really want to offset him, get to the middle of the ring immediately to start every round because now you've interrupted his rhythm and now he's going to be angry and try to, and have to deal with that. And then just to prove that he had been there mm-hmm. on the last day of fight camp, which was a public workout, uh, they had JD take a picture with Marvin um, with his dyed hair and dark glasses. Cause Marvin signed autographs for everybody who came out mm-hmm. to see him and everything. And yeah, again, much like the negotiating ploys and everything we're talking about, it's a, it's a dirty way to operate, but it's not, illegal and it's not incorrect it's just it's something that doesn't get you as much respect as just going in putting your work in and then beating the guy let's take a moment here to talk about one of our sponsors grammarly who uh pat you know you you like to send me nice tight notes i bet you use grammarly to help you with that if i didn't have grammarly you wouldn't be able to read my notes so that's a huge part of it um (laughs) I, I use Grammarly for the notes I send to you. I have, you know, my my work my work reports. I use Grammarly for. Um, it corrects not just my spelling, but my grammar and my like anything I need to do with it. It'll arrange my wording for me if it's a mistake <laughs> riddled report, which it usually is. Um, so I'm a big fan of the service. Mark turned me on to it. I love it and I use it pretty much every time I have to type something at this point. That's right. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate, like Pat, more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web, including your work reports, Pat. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. So let's talk about Sugar Ray Leonard's training camp in Hilton Head, South Carolina. What was the big deal here? So they did a they did a couple things differently. Um, we've talked in the past about Leonard working with Angelo Dundee, who had you know been Muhammad Ali's head trainer. And even though Angelo didn't run Leonard's whole camp, he would come in as like the strategy specialist basically, and was head trainer in name. Mm-hmm. And we talked about one of the big things early in the career was he was actually he had final say on all the approved matchups for Ray. 
So he came in very early for this because strategy is going to be the name of the game for how they have to fight Marvin Hagler. And Angelo, being as astute as he is, notices things too. He knows that Marvin is actually right-handed. And so Marvin generates more power from his right side as opposed to his left side. Conventional wisdom tells you as an orthodox fighter, when you fight a left-handed fighter, the goal is to move to their right side. You're moving to your left and closer to their right to stay away from their power hand. Marvin's power hand is actually his right hand. So they're advising right. You need to circle to your right like you would against an orthodox fighter to stay out of his power. Correct. So there's that part of it. What Ray also did to get ready and why these negotiations also took close to a year, Ray is essentially having unsanctioned fights to get himself ready for this. And he's fighting against guys who are wearing uh, 10-ounce gloves and headgear while Ray wears 14-ounce gloves and no headgear. And he's fighting 12-round fights to get himself conditioned for this um, and, and doing that type of stuff behind closed doors. It's a very cloak-and-dagger operation that they're running. And, you know, it's, it's, it shows you how much foresight was put into Ray to what he was looking for in this fight and how well-prepared he was. And to be fair, how well-manipulated they were, they were with the circumstances of how mm -hmm. and where the bout took place and some other negotiating tactics we'll talk about. All right. Uh, the, you have a bit of here with Thomas Hearns, who when we last saw him, again, he was being pummeled by Marvin Hagler over three <laughs> rounds. Um, he makes history by becoming a three-division world champion, the first former welterweight champion to win a light heavyweight title. One month prior to the Hagler, Leonard Hearns would floor Dennis Andres five times to take his WBC light heavyweight title via 10-round KO. When pressed for a prediction on the upcoming superfight, Hearns suggested a Leonard upset in the making. Well, so what's the uh, – just the – it's an interesting factoid, but what's the relevance in the bigger picture to Hagler-Leonard? For Thomas Hearns' uh, part of this? Yes. Well, I think people are looking at this as, well, because there was the thought that, and it's even mentioned during the commentary of the Hagler-Mugabe fight, that it was going to be Hagler-Hearns 2, the rematch. Right. And, you know, Tommy unfortunately doesn't get that opportunity because Leonard steps in and gets the fight. And so he take, Tommy takes the road less traveled, which I wish, wish more guys would. And he just decides, all right, well, I'm not going to get a shot at this. I'm going to make some history of my own. So he jumps up to light heavyweight, which, you know, he's a welterweight jumping up to light heavyweight. It wasn't really done at that time. Um, and fights Dennis Andres as the WBC light heavyweight champion. And even though he's the former welterweight champion jumping up to light heavyweight, he still drops the guy five times and takes the belt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things where people saw it as potentially, is it a bargaining chip for him to try to get the winner of this fight? It's it's but it's historic because again no welterweight has ever done this in history gone up and become light heavyweight champion, mm -hmm. and because of that they you know they're asking Tommy's opinion and they're asking well who who is it and the thought process from Tommy is I think Ray might upset him and I think part of that is that he he fought both guys obviously we've covered mm -hmm. this but I think the version of Marvin he fought he probably felt like was a slower down version even though he got knocked out okay. He fought a ferocious Marvin, but not a Marvin who was using all these different tactics and things like he fought a Marvin who went straight at him like a bulldog and eventually broke him. Mm -hmm. Ray, meanwhile, fought the long haul against him, came on admirably and tactically was superior. And I think that's part of what Tommy's thinking. 
But at the same time, I'm also thinking if he has to fight one of these two guys again, I think he'd rather fight Ray than fight Marlon again. They also asked Roberta Duran, who went to punch out a horse, uh, who he thought was there going to There it is. Take a drink, everybody. <laughs> That's right. I said the thing, the very thing. Um, about what he thought, and while he was not well, he was rather nonplussed by Marvin Hagler. He thought Marvin Hagler was going to win the fight. Yeah, he th- he thought Marvin would win. Uh, basically, he thought Marvin was bigger. He thought Marvin was stronger. He thought, he, and he didn't think Ray was so outstanding of a boxer that he'd be able to deal with Marvin. He thought Marvin could do things that he did to Ray in their first fight and apply them a little better. And I, I think Roberto also, if he's looking at which of the two he'd rather fight, if he's still involved in this, because Ray. Roberto had had a semi-retirement at this point, and he's come back at this point with middling results uh, in his yeah. efforts. He actually loses a close decision to Marvin's half-brother, Robbie Sims, um, in a fight in 86 in the, on a Thomas Hearns undercard. But Roberto, again, one of the guys who's fought the two, would have among the more educated opinions, so he sought out. But he's thinking it's Marvin all the way. Oh, I'm sure he's still not thrilled about the Nomas fight. Uh, they asked Larry Merchant. Larry Merchant said that it's hard to come off the shelf after you know X amount of years with a detached retina surgery or no surgery and win a fight. So Larry Merchant doesn't think Leonard's going to pull it off either. He he made he made the analogy of like Leonard. He he juxtaposed it against like if you have the world's greatest surgeon who hasn't operated for four years and you tell them, oh by the way, we need you to come on and do like a, a triple heart bypass. You might not be so enthused and you might not get the results you think you would because it's been four years since he's done it. Yeah. The last issue seemed to be the selection of judges and referees. Uh, again, an English judge, Harry Gibbs, had been selected, and Pat Petronelli vehemently protested based on Hagler's treatment in England, winning the title from Alan Minter. Gibbs would, Gibbs would be replaced by Jose Jojo Guerra of Mexico, and Gibbs packed his bags and headed home to England just in time to watch the fight. The yeah, referee, just, just in time to get home and watch it. <laughs> the referee was selected to be Richard Steele, who had competently handled Hagler Hearns two years earlier. The other two judges would be Lou Filippo and David Moretti. The broadcast rights were live for HBO with up to three replays, ABC getting the delayed, delayed broadcast, and CBS's Tim Ryan and Gil Clancy handling closed-circuit uh, broadcasts. Think about All how right. insane that is. The distribution rights for this fight were such a hot commodity mm-hmm. that you had multiple different networks paying for replays of it. That's That's insane. Well, I mean, that's something that happens now, though. That's pretty regular. You know, Jake Paul fights on a Showtime pay-per-view. A week later, it's on Showtime. You know, right. and then after, this, and then this, after this, that, it'll end up on ESPN somewhere. Right, which pay-per-view isn't really even a thing at this point. Pay-per-view is in right. its infancy. So there's going to be one main venue where you can watch the fight live on, on television at home, and HBO got the rights to that. There's the ability to watch it via closed circuit at a movie theater or a a sporting venue of the kind. Mm -hmm. Then if you can't somehow see it one way or the other, you have a delayed broadcast on HBO X amount of days after the fact. It's actually scheduled. It's not on demand, kids. We used to not have that as an option. (laughs) And then after HBO does its thing, then you can watch it on ABC. And then eventually they'll release a home video of it a year later where you can watch it on that. And it, it like that's how much this was. But we talked about the judges. We didn't talk about the other pre-fight negotiations and how they okay. went. And we have to preface with that because they all play into this importantly. Okay. So the, the fight purse wound up being a guarantee of $23 million. The Petronellis and Hagler wanted the champion share of the money because they felt they earned it and they deserved it. Mm-hmm. But in order to get that, what they had to do was make concessions to Leonard. And the Petronellis negotiated these. 
And to this day, I don't, I don't know that, you know, again, Marvin showed these guys a lot of loyalty. They didn't do him any favors in these negotiations. Right. The first one that was the size of the ring. Most middleweight fights and fights of that were fought in an 18 by 18 ring. Sometimes a little bigger. Sometimes you went to 20 by 20, which is 20 by 20 is the size of a standard WWE ring to put it in perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. But generally anything like 20 by 20 or more than that was used for the big boys, for heavyweights, you know, guys who need more space, that type of fight. They agreed on a 22 by 22 foot ring, which is huge, huge, as Bruce Pritchard Mm -hmm. would say. That's a massive ring with a lot of ground to cover. All right. The next thing they had to agree on was the glove size. Now, at this point in time, six-ounce gloves are still used as a regular. But pretty much every fight under a heavyweight fight is an eight-ounce glove title fight. Leonard insisted on 10-ounce gloves. And, you know, I'm not going to say glove ounces are all, oh, you know, that two ounces. But it, it makes a difference over a long haul of a fight. Sure. The amount of punishment you take and absorb. And Mar, you know, the thought process, I'm sure, for the Petronellos is, oh, well, his punches will hurt less, too. I don't think Marvin was ever in danger of being hurt by raised punches. Right. And I think the fight, as it plays out, illustrates that. I think several times Ray was in a lot of danger, and the big glove size, it mattered, and it played a difference. And then maybe the most critical giveaway that they had in this was the round length, where – the WBC even insisted that they would offer to schedule this fight for 15 rounds, which we've talked about their parts in the past where they've threatened to strip Marvin if he agrees to a 15-round fight because he's carrying the other two organizations' belts as well. They were willing to have this be a 15-round fight, and Marvin initially is adamant this is a 15-round fight. We're going all the way with this. This is a championship fight. And basically, Leonard Kemp says if it's not 12 rounds, there's no fight. A lot of gamesmanship here. A lot of mind games. A ton. So eventually, because they want the fight, they want the money, they agree to 12 rounds. So let's talk about the fight itself. It takes place um, It takes place April 6th, 1987 uh, for the WBC and Ring middleweight titles. What happened to the WBA belt? Well, the WBA... And the, and the IBF belt, for that matter. Yeah. So here's the thing. The WBA refused to sanction the fight and basically said, if this fight goes on and you fight Leonard, who's not ranked, hasn't fought next amount of time, we're going to withdraw recognition of you as champion. The IBF was also unwilling to sanction the fight because, again, Leonard's unranked. He hasn't fought. I don't give a damn who you were beforehand. We have a list of top 10 contenders that, you know, if you're not fighting one of these guys and you're going to fight this guy, we're not recognizing the fight. Also, the IBF at the time still recognized title fights as 15 rounds. Gotcha. However, what they did say was that we won't recognize the fight, but we're not going to strip you as champion unless you lose the fight. Then we're going to withdraw recognition of you as the champion and the title will be vacant. Gotcha. All right. So the fight itself, as we said, um, for the WBC and ring middleweight titles, the super fight, the fight that everyone's been waiting for, Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, ends in a controversial, one of the most controversial split decisions in boxing history. Uh, My impression of this fight, and I didn't think too much about it as I was watching it to hear, you know, it was after the fact. After I'd watched it, I saw what the score was. You seem to think that Sugar Ray Leonard did not win the fight, uh, is what I'm guessing. For the first half of the fight, first four or five rounds, 
Sugar Ray is able to evade a lot of Marvin Hagler's punches. Marvin Hagler uh, gives him chase. He's having a hard time making connections. And Sugar Ray, I think, pretty handily wins the first four rounds. Over the course of the next several rounds, it's a little bit more even. Sugar Ray loses. I, I know when I think like Howard Liederman's uh, scorecard, Sugar Ray had lo- loses the next like four rounds or so. Um, Marvin Hagler is really putting a beating on Sugar Ray. Towards the end, I feel like Sugar Ray starts to come back. And again, even though they have some real firefights towards the end where they're both just kind of standing and punching, I feel like Sugar Ray got the better of Marvin Hagler in a lot of those exchanges. The one thing in Marvin Hagler's uh, corner, so to speak, is that when he's hitting Sugar Ray, I think he's doing more damage. He's just not hitting Sugar Ray as much as Sugar Ray's hitting him. Why am I crazy to say all that? Do you know what the average punch differential in landed punches was for the fight per round? What? Leonard landed an average of one more punch per round. Okay. In total, he wound up landing 16 more punches in the fight, which is like 1.3 punches per round difference. Okay. So it's closer than I'm making it out to be. Over the first two rounds, I think Leonard pretty clearly won rounds one and two. One, Marvin does the same thing against him that he did against Mugabe, where he comes out orthodox. That made Leonard extremely comfortable to start with, because now you're not fighting Marvin at peak Marvin. You're fighting him not only past his prime, but he's also fighting in the stance he's less effective in, because he's trying to do a little bit of gamesmanship with you, but it doesn't work because he's not as effective out of that stance. So I think in the first two rounds, you don't see Marvin land a whole lot. You see Ray do a lot of moving and a lot of running, but he does land punches. And I think he wins one and two pretty handily. Rounds three and four, Marvin reverts more to fighting as a southpaw. And I think he lands the better punches. And I think he's more effective at getting inside, finding in Leonard's timing, and he lands good punches. What you see through the course of this fight is a strategy that Leonard created from one sparring session against a guy named Quincy Taylor. Mm-hmm. Quincy Taylor eventually is going to win a WBC middleweight title in the 90s for a short time. But Quincy was a southpaw. Quincy was not a big hitter. In a sparring session, Leonard's pre-fight strategy that they thought he was going to go with was he's going to try to target Marvin's eyes. He's going to try to swell him, try to cut him, because Marvin had a tendency and become more prone to doing that. Well, Quincy Taylor changed all that with one punch when he hit Leonard with a left hand that by Leonard's own admission knocked the shit out of him. <laughs> John Madden was watching Leonard spar and saw that punch land and yelled up and yelled out of his seat. Oh Jesus. <laughs> the thought process was at that point, if Quincy Taylor can do that to me, Marvin Hagler might be able to kill me. So what you see now is Leonard, a lot of moving, a lot of running for lack of a better way to say it. And most importantly, what he does is he steals an Ali tactic that Ali used against Ken Norton, where every time that there are 30 seconds left at the end of a round, he has Ali Dunlap yell 30 and Leonard throws a flashy series of punches to try to steal the round. Basically. Okay. Lots of those punches don't have any weight behind them. They are essentially arm punches or pity pats as we'll call them. And a lot of them don't land. They're landing on gloves, but shoulders. They're, they're, designed to, they're designed to trick the judges into giving him the round. And, Leonard had always said if he had to fight Marvin, the way to fight Marvin is to paint a distorted picture and show him right. things that aren't really there. Right. What he's That's... really doing isn't doing that with Marvin so much as he's doing that with judges. By right. Fighting. And that's what I was saying. 
because he's throwing slightly higher volume, but there's not a lot of oomph behind it, he's giving off the impression that he's uh, tagging Marvin more often than he really is. And he's, he's creating, as you said, the illusion that he's winning the fight. Whereas if you're looking at it with a bit more scrutiny, you can see that those punches aren't landing and they're not really doing any damage. And so it's just, you know, it, it's a lot of sizzle and not a lot of stake. It's, it's there for show. It's not there to win the fight. Right. Not, not by knocking him out at least. Or, or, or doing any real damage for the most right. part. They're, they're flashy. They can make thump sounds, but mm -hmm. as anybody who's ever hit a heavy bag can tell you, you can throw a punch at a heavy bag to make a loud slapping noise. Right. But the heavy bag doesn't move or rotate. Right. You can hit a heavy bag with a thud and make it move and rotate. And that's the thing. Once once that kind of became adamantly clear, I think it I think if you're an actual if you really look at what's going on and you're looking at the fight, I think the first two rounds clearly right. I think Marvin takes the edge in the th third and fourth. Maybe there's a case for Leonard in the third, maybe, but I don't see it. Mm -hmm. I think the fifth round is where you really see the turn of the tide of the fight, where Marvin really wakes up and starts really doing a number on Ray because Ray's legs start to, you know, they start to wear down because he's been putting so much mileage on them for the first four rounds. I think Ray comes back with a better round in the sixth, and I give that round to him. Mm-hmm. I think seven, eight, and particularly nine, where Marvin really has him in trouble, and Ray himself has acknowledged that in the ninth round, Marvin was very close to knocking him out. I think seven, eight, nine are all Marvin's rounds. I think the tenth is a closer round by most people's standards, but I tend to give it to Ray because I think that was his last great rally in the fight. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment in that round where he's actually able to back Marvin off of him when Marvin's working him over, and he actually right. backs Marvin up. We actually sits down on his punches and fights out of a corner. But in the 11th and 12th, he barely throws any punches. He's doing a lot of showman-y type things where he's waving to the crowd and doing this stuff. And <laughs> Marvin's actually working and hitting him. He's There's, not hitting I, him as much, but he's hitting him a lot more than Ray's hitting him. I can't remember what round it is where he winds up like Popeye and actually and actually hits him in the torso. He doesn't hit him in the torso. He hits him with a low blow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He hits him with a low blow. And again, throughout the course of the fight... You know, Richard Steele was commended for how he handled Hagler Hearns. He does a lousy job in this fight. Ray is constantly holding behind the head, mm -hmm. getting warned and not anything serious. He hits Marvin low very often. Do you think that's champion's deferential? You know, like, oh, it's Sugar Ray. We don't want to. Oh, that's, that's exactly why. Whereas okay. if Marvin had even thought of hitting Ray low one time, you know, there'd be three points off of him immediately. It's amazing Marvin didn't kill Ray when this was over. Uh, I'm sure the thought crossed his mind, but yeah, sure. You know, the way my score breaks down essentially every time I watch this fight is the same. I give rounds one and two, six and ten to Ray, and I give the other eight rounds to Marvin. And I've seen it this way pretty much every time I've watched it, trying to discern, okay, how is it feasible that you can score this round for Ray? How is it feasible that you can score this round for Ray type thing? So essentially, the argument is that the scores for Ray are inflated because they're crediting him with punches that aren't doing damage. Uh, may not have even been landing in an effective way, you know, Correct. hitting him on the arms, things of that nature. Correct. And I think, again, also that 30-second strategy mm -hmm. that he stole from Ali against Norton plays a large part in that because when you do that, you're trying to leave the lasting impression at that point and trying to bank on judges having a short memory and not necessarily, well, who would I have rather been in that round if it's a close one? Well, again, Sugar Ray wins with the most divisive split decision in history. 
Yeah. Uh, Dave Moretti scored the fight by a margin of seven to five or one fifteen to one thirteen in points for Leonard and Judge Filippo scoring the same margins for Hagler and Guerra. The judge that Hagler, uh, that Hagler's manager, Pat Petronelli, inadvertently got hired for the fight by dismissing Gibbs, scored the fight in inexplicable 118 to 110 or 10 rounds, uh, 10 rounds to two for Leonard. Well, that's nonsense. Yeah. That if you have any in the years that have passed since, has, has this particular judge spoken about what in the hell he thought he was looking at, or is there any insight as to why he is so widely off base with that score? He's said that he, like, he he stood by it. He he absolutely mm. like on this is the hill I'll die on. He goes, I think Sugar Ray fought the most marvelous fight I've ever seen, and blah blah blah. He he was so great, and I I I can't see how I even gave Hagler two rounds, mm. which is insanity. Um, yeah, you know, at at the post fight press conference, Pat Pesernelli said this judge Jojo Guerra ought to go to jail. <laughs> well. A jubilant Leonard was raised into the air by his handlers, flexing his muscles while a despondent Hagler shook his head in disbelief. Just like, why? Why did I even do this? Leonard approached a distraught Hagler in the middle of the ring, and what took place next has been argued by both sides. Hagler has said Leonard said, you beat me. Leonard has said that he told Marvin, you're still the champ. What is not in dispute is that Ray's next question to Hagler was, are we still friends? Or we're still friends, right? Hagler didn't respond, and Leonard asked again. Hagler could only mutter, it's not fair. This is depressing, Pat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on the one hand, it's your fight to lose. You know, Marvin Hagler, this was it. This was your shot, for better or for worse, for, you know, for ill-timed or not. This was the time to make it happen. And, Look, I'm not saying a knockout is easy to get, especially when you're fighting someone the caliber of Sugar Ray Leonard. But you, you did. There's only so much you can blame on the judges. At the end of the day, he didn't fight the same fight he fought against Tommy Hearns. You know? He didn't. He absolutely didn't. And again, we, I, you know, the, I forget who it was with the quote, but uh, you know, they talked about how Marvin came out fighting the fight mm-hmm. orthodox, right. And standing there playing the distance game and boxing with Ray, and I forget again. I forget who it was, but they said he couldn't have made Ray feel any more comfortable unless he had drawn him a bath. <laughs> and that's true because you initially you you know some people argue what he gave away. I will never dispute that he gave away the first two rounds of that fight by fighting the way he did. Um, you know one of one of you know one of the things I sent you to watch was a, a show on ESPN used to be called uh, the Top Five Reasons You Can't Blame. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's an episode based around this fight, the top five reasons you can't blame Marvin Hagler for losing to Sugar Ray Leonard. And, you know, but what they do first is they look at the reasons you can put on him. And one of them mm-hmm. was how he initially chose to fight his fight. When he turned it on and fought the fight he should have been fighting from the get-go, I don't think there's any disputing who was getting the better of it. One thing that happens in this fight fairly frequently, and it's funny, even one of the commentators said, you know, Marvin's corner wants Sugar Ray against the ropes. Sugar Ray's corner wants him off the ropes. And Marvin keeps pushing him into the ropes. And when he's a little bit more aggressive, when he's able to cut the ring off from Sugar Ray, he does a good job of boxing him in and laying in punches. He just doesn't do it with any consistency. And then Sugar Ray is able to get out of the get off the ropes and get out of the corner again. And I and I wonder watching that fight, why he when you look at the Tommy Hearns fight, he never stops punching. I showed this to Melissa and I got into a discussion one night and I said, um, you know, I wish you would take an interest in some of the things that I think are 
pretty marvelous, no pun intended. And she was like, give me an example. I'm like, you need to watch this Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns fight. You want to talk, I mean, like the thing she says, and, and I get this from people who don't watch boxing, boxing is boring. You know, it's just, it's just punching and, you know, they, they miss the nuance and the beauty of it all. But to, to her credit, when I explained to her, I'm like, you're going to see a fight like you've never seen before. These guys only stop when the round ends. <laughs> and I showed it to her and she was like, wow, like, I don't love boxing, but that was pretty impressive. Marvin Hagler handled Tommy Hearns. And you know, like I said, like he owed him money, but Tommy Hearns for his, for his part stood there and took it and gave it back until he couldn't do it anymore. And here Marvin Hagler doesn't fight with the same level of intensity or enthusiasm, which is really frustrating to watch. Well, again, remember two things. One, that fight took place almost exactly two years prior to that. Mm -hmm. So that's two more years on Marvin, two more years on his legs, two more years on his reflexes. And again, we talk about the last fight he had before this, which on the top five reasons you can't blame show is reason number five, John Mugabe, because mm -hmm. that fight was so physically taxing to Marvin because he took more punishment in that fight than maybe he ever had as in, in cumulative bouts at that point mm -hmm. uh, from a young peaking guy who was at that time considered the destroyer of destroyers in those divisions with the exception of Marvin. And not only that, but you look at the mileage Ray puts on his legs through the course of this fight. Mm -hmm. There's no wonder there's points of time where he just absolutely had to slow down and stop because right. he is moving constantly and you cannot keep that pace for 12 rounds. As, as hard of a hitter as Marvin is too. And he, he walloped Sugar Ray a number of times. You can't take it away from Sugar Ray. He took it. He took it. Oh, yeah. coming. No, Ray, Ray absolutely can take it. Like, you know, we're talking about a guy who, Yes, there's some years off at this point, but he's fought Thomas Hearns over a 14-round period. Mm -hmm. Took Thomas Hearns' best shots. Okay. Fought, fought Roberto Duran in back-to-back -back fights, and as we all know, Roberto Duran knocked out a horse. And in the first fight, fought Duran toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Right. Took a lot in that fight. Right. I think I think where I've landed with Sugar Ray, as we've proceeded to do nine chapters of this now, and we'll start, to, we'll, we'll start winding our way out of here, um, is that... I don't love the sneakiness. I don't love the, the I, I know there are people who are going to listen to this and be like strategy, strategy though. You, you can't just, you, 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 I, I want to see people fight the best of the best in their primes. And I think when you are purposely putting things off and waiting for an advantageous opportunity to put yourself in there, um, I, you know, I th when you put Marvin Hagler against Sugar Ray, I, I just feel like Marvin Hagler is the man's man, and Sugar Ray, while he's a man too, I don't feel like he's the best. I don't feel like I, I don't feel like he represents the best in sport. I feel like that's somebody like Marvin Hagler. Yeah, not not in how he conducted himself in right. terms of how this fight was handled, planned, negotiated, etc. Right. Um, you know the. I always made comparisons this for years, like to this and the Montreal screw job in a lot of respects, mm -hmm. based on the personalities involved, um, how things played out um, ultimately and what the decision was made. Um, you know, because you had two very, very different personalities in the same milieu who clash. And one guy is very much more kind of your, your man's man, like you talk about. The other mm -hmm. guy is much more flash and glitz and glamour and appeals to a different type of person. Right. Um, 
And, you know, ultimately just, I think one guy got screwed in here and mm -hmm. I think it was wrong. And he did, you know, he did everything he could ask him to do. And at the end of the day, you, you still take it away from him in a situation where he didn't really lose, um, you know, except this was real. Um, and, you know, and most, most of the real educated boxing people I, I know and have heard spoken about this fight, you know, and you can take in guys like Teddy Atlas, Al Bernstein, you know, they all believe Marvin got robbed. And, you know, there's a large contingent that even though this fight, I've seen worse decisions than this fight, right? I've mm -hmm. seen, you know, to this day, I always cite the worst scoring decision I've ever seen is a fight that aired on ESPN between Paulie Ayala and a guy named Hugo Dianzo, or was literally in Paulie Ayala's hometown. Ayala was knocked down one, maybe two rounds of the fight and just somehow walked away with a unanimous decision. Um, Teddy Atlas had a damn near heart attack on the show. There's been fights that haven't been as close as this is perceived to have been and argued, but this is the most divisive one because of what people saw in this fight. The people who believe Marvin Hagler won, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm very much among them, saw a guy throw more meaningful, harder shots, carry the fight to his opponent, not really take any significant damage in return and ultimately win the majority of the rounds only to not win them on two cards, but also on one card. Just, it was very clear that one judge wasn't even paying attention to the fight. It's kind of like with the, with mixed martial arts where you have a guy who gets takedowns and he kind of holds the guy on the ground. He's not advancing his position. He's not causing damage. He's just holding him on the ground. And, you know, and then judges like, Oh, well, you know, he won the round. It's like, but did he, you know, did, did, did we advance the cause of winning the fight or did we just stall for time? Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's kind of my assessment of this. So Hagler asked Sugar Ray for a rematch and Sugar Ray said, well, I'm going to retire. And then Marvin said, fine, I'll retire, too. And then Sugar Ray takes another fight. <laughs> like, what the so, hell? You know, the, the thought immediately was that, well, this was, you know, this was what it was. And there's got to yeah. be a rematch. Right. Initially, Marvin was so disgusted, he didn't want to talk to anybody about it because he really, and, and, and I understand it completely, felt in earnest that he was he had this stolen from him to promote a guy and mm -hmm. felt that it was almost like a trap to get a rematch out of it that they thought could just make more money. Right. Um, which, you know, the old saying, the money's in the rematch. And, you know, initially Marvin just didn't want to talk about it. He was pissed. This was going to be the last one. We're going to ride off into the sunset after this. I'm going to get the fight I want. I'm going to go down in history as the greatest, etc. And, you know, obviously that doesn't wind up happening. He loses mm -hmm. a split decision. He loses his recognition as the champion. Um, and, you know, Leonard immediately retires to try to ensure that there's no rematch. And um, it's just, you know, I you didn't just take his title. You didn't just take, you know, his livelihood. You, you took away his dignity in many respects the way you mm -hmm. did that to him. And that's yeah. how he felt, you know. He the story. He was leaving Caesar's Palace the next day out of the hotel, and he sees the beer guys loading up the truck, and he goes, uh, "Hey man, how about a six pack?" And a guy tossed him a whole case of beer and said, "You're still the champ, Marvin." And you know, I think, I think he, he I think believes. Know who, I think people know who won that fight. I think that's the thing. I don't, I've never seen a case for that. You can say, and I, I don't want to. And there's other parts of that judging too that I think don't get called into the. You know, conventional wisdom for a lot of people was saying that Ray Leonard was going to get destroyed. And just by not being destroyed, 
Right. It seems like he's doing more than what he's actually doing. Yeah, it's it's almost like, well, you know, moral victory, but somehow a moral victory translated into an actual victory. And there's there's people ahead of this fight who, you know, saw it for what it was in certain respects. Michael Katz from the Daily News had said Marvin's legs and his reflexes are not there. And I don't mm-hmm. think Ray takes this fight unless he really believes he can win it. And Katz was right in that respect. Katz also predicted Leonard to win, which I think he's wrong about. But officially, he's right about, you know, right. You, you had those instances happen. And I, I forget. I think it was Harry Mullen. No relation to me. He spells it differently. Um, <laughs> who. There's an audience in boxing at this point that's kind of getting tired of Bray's act of like, oh, well, mm-hmm. everything's about me. I'm making a grand comeback now. Everybody come come sit at the table and follow me and look at what I'm doing. And it rubbed a lot of people in boxing the wrong way. And Harry Mullen was kind of one of the more outspoken guys about it first. I think it was Harry, but there's that. You know, um, the Petronellis outsmarted themselves again with the bargaining mistakes they made. They replaced the judge who, watching at home, acknowledged that he thought Marvin Hagler absolutely won the fight. And instead you have this Mexican judge, Jojo Guerra, who scores a score that nobody could justify to this day. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, 120 to 120 to zero Canelo. And I think the reason I think the reason this fight and this decision bothers so many people as much as it does to this day mm-hmm. is because of what it took away from a guy who worked so hard for so long to right. have. Yeah, the bad guy won in the end, and it, it doesn't sit well with people. So it let's doesn't. Last bit of notes here. A chance meeting occurred between Hagler and Leonard in November. Thomas Hearns would make history becoming the first four-weight division champion by winning the vacant WBC middleweight title with a fourth-round KO over Juan Roldan. Hagler, who had provided commentary for the bout, was in the men's room when Leonard happened to walk in. Some fight, huh? Said Leonard. Hagler replied with an icy glare and not a single word. Oof. Uh, by 1990, Hagler had moved to Italy, making some action films for director Antonio Margaretti and enjoying his life away from boxing. At an awards dinner in Nevada, Leonard approached Bob Arum about asking Marvin if he'd be interested in a rematch. Arum brought the word over to Hagler, who responded with Bob, Bob, tell Ray to get a life. Leonard's victory, meanwhile, was considered one of the greatest upsets in the history of the sport and seen at the time as arguably its greatest comeback. Leonard's newest retirement wouldn't last very long. He'd be back in the ring by 1988. And that, my friends, is the super fight. Pat, your final thoughts here. I think it's one of the more uh, egregious wrongdoings ever done in the history of the sport of boxing. Because um, like I said, you took a guy who worked so hard for so long to, to build what he had and to have it taken from him by this guy in this manner it was such a turnoff for so many people to the sport. And uh, it's, for a guy, for a guy who just never had a break and finally has it, and he's fought the best, you know, he, he didn't fight the best fight he could have fought, but he fought a fight that should have still won him the fight, and it yeah. for it not to have, and uh, to see it taken from him in that manner, uh, I don't, I don't even like watching the fight. I had to watch it for this, but I, I detest watching the fight because I know what the end result is, and I know how much it meant to that guy. And you know, we lost Marvin, you know, recently, and. Uh, he should have had that moment. He should have, he deserved that moment to have that win over Ray Leonard and to go out on a high note like that in his career. But it's a different high note. He goes out on in that he did something that not many people can ever do. He, he said, I'm retired and he meant it. And he never, he never came back. He never wanted to, he never delved back into things. You know, he had the great response, tell Ray to go get a life, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, 
he got, you know, he got married again later in mm-hmm. life to his wife, Kay, and he was making Italian action movies and drinking a bottle of wine every day and learned how to I, speak good Italian. I don't think anyone would argue that boxing was was not good to Marvin Hagler. It clearly was. He made, you know, a small fortune from it. You know, he was a world champion, et cetera, et cetera. But unlike Sugar Ray, it was, you know, everything he ha- everything that he got from boxing, he had to take with force. Nothing was given to him. And I can see by, you know, you know, with one final uh, insult that, you know, he's like, okay, I have done my bit for for God and country. I am ready to move on with my life. And I don't blame him one bit. It was every, every perceived slight that he had seen in his career Mm -hmm. and every, every insecurity or paranoia that people are, you know, we'll call it paranoia, but in reality, it's, you're not paranoid if they are after you or they are out to get you. (laughs) And, it seemed like they were out to get him. And every bit of that mm-hmm. that he ever felt was justified by that decision happening because it meant, you know what? They were in this guy's corner the whole time, not in mine. And yep. they never have been. And I'm walking away from it now because it's not going to get any better. you know. Yep. And, and I think generally everybody acknowledged that had they fought a rematch, everybody was picking Marvin because it was so easy for him to make the adjustments to take the fight over that if he just fought that way the whole time, there wouldn't have been any dispute as to who – who right. won? And Ray Ray might not have even made it to the final bell in a right. rematch. And but there's no way Ray takes that fight. I mean, I think what we what we've learned about Sugar Ray is when he can. I'm going to say this more as a compliment than a negative because I really do. You know, I want to give credit where credit's due. Ray can see the train coming further back than anyone else can. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of our chapter nine here. Before we go, Pat, what are you listening to these days? I've been bumping a lot of Hailstorm lately, I, I guess in celebration of Women's History Month. Um, I've been listening to a lot more female stuff lately, and Hailstorm's just been right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, great band, love them. You know what you should have been listening to? The Randy Savage uh, rap album. Be a man. Be a man, Pat Mullen. Come on, don't be scared. You're running from macho. That's what I heard. That's a goddamn right. So anyway, you can find Randy Savage's rap album, Hulk Hogan's disco album, Hey Sex Calhoun's presumably country album. Have you I heard about this? Bluegrass, but you know, sure. Either way, it's all there for you on Amazon Music Unlimited, which we are giving away a free 30-day trial of. Get amazonmusic.com/w2m network is the link provided in the description of this podcast. That's get amazonmusic.com/w2m network for a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. We uh, will be back again in May, but before that. Pat's got at least one more show with me. Um, we're doubling up on Monday. We've got a lot of wrestling. It's WrestleMania weekend, and we're celebrating all week long right into next week. Yes, you have two shows next week. So Pat and I are going to be concluding. We are finally we, <clears throat> we are we started this a year ago. We started this WrestleMania week a year ago, and we are uh, it's a year later. We're finally at WrestleMania 38, and we're concluding the mania of WrestleMania with WrestleMania 20. This is our finale show. We've had a lot of guests along the way. We've had Stuart. We've had Neil from movies that uh, suck and some that don't. We've had um, <laughs> sorry, Ronnie. Ronnie, big fan of yours, says we need more of you on the network, sir. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> um, thanks, thanks, Ronnie. Anyway, uh, we've had Stuart on the show. You know, he talked about the Attitude Era with me. We had Neil, who talked the who was on last show. We talked uh, eighteen and nineteen. And uh, and we've had Chris Bailey early on doing a lot of the 80s stuff, but it's just us two, man. I mean, I might put the word out, you know, one final hurrah for the 
for for all of us. We'll see who we'll see who shows up Monday night. But uh, I have I have a sneaky suspicion it's just gonna be me and you. And we will look back at WrestleMania 20 and all the WrestleManias before that and come to Yeah, because the main event of that was only two guys. It was just Shawn Michaels and Triple H. No, no, no. It was a third guy. It was Stevie Richards. Oh, you're right. You're right. Dance and Stevie Richards. Anyway, um, also, Pat jumped in before everybody else and pushed everyone else off the line. Because I had a few people like, like, oh, hey, can I get on that Morbius show? Pat's on it. Never mind. No. Um, so Pat's going to go see Morbius and he's going to jump on the damn you Hollywood with us. we myself, Pat and Robert, uh, reviewing Morbius. And then, uh, May 26th, we come back to the four Kings of boxing chapter 10, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Tommy Hearns to electric boogaloo. And we get to combine two, two loves in one podcast. Cause we'll also talk a little bit about Vince McMahon on that podcast <laughs> on the Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Sugar Ray Hearns too. Yes, we will. All right, I can't wait to. <laughs> Sorry, Ronnie chiming in again. Ahem, ahem. I would like to talk wrestling with you two jabronis. We'll see what we can come up with. <laughs> um, all right, folks. Pat, uh, did you want to say anything else? Do you want to? Oh, hey, uh, talk about the trivia show you were on real quick. Yeah, so tripped up trivia, uh, a regular feature here on the on. Uh... You know, W2M Network through Rattleision Broadcasting. Uh, we just did a, a wrestling-themed episode in celebration of WrestleMania week. Uh, it was uh, myself, Gavin Napier, uh, two new friends of ours, Leonard and Bill, um, who each have their own awesome podcast that you can listen to that show and hear their plugs for as well. Um, we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it's a very uh, – Jesse was great about just trying to find questions for all of us. Uh, Mark's lovely wife kept score. Uh, fantastic vocal work, by the way, Melissa, you are, you are engaging. Just great. We love you. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I insisted on Gavin Napier being on it because I was fairly sure if there's anyone who could possibly beat me, it would be Gavin. And I'll let you guys listen to the show to find out if that happened or not, but it was a lot of fun. We're talking rematch already, everybody. So just like we said, the money's in the rematch. In 30 questions, he missed one. And it was something, it was something like, like he hated the wrestler or something like that. That's why he didn't know the answer. But it was, but they, but I'll tell you, no, that was, I, that was me with regards to a question about broken Matt Hardy. Right. Oh, that there was that one. Cause I remember at the end, <laughs> he was like, damn, you broken Matt Hardy and your stupid, stupid gimmick. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for us. Uh, stay tuned for chapter 10. Thank you for listening to chapter nine and the four Kings of boxing for Pat Mullen. I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe and behave.